What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, Nats Sound. Welcome to Nats Nightly, sponsored by the District Sports page and federalbaseball.com. This is Patrick Reddington from Federal Baseball. I've got Dave Nichols from the District Sports page on the line. After a 3 nothing win over the Braves, the Nats avoid the sweep. Improve to 81 and 78 on the year and guarantee at least a 500 season if they get swept by the Mets this weekend. That's not going to happen. Steven Strasburg on the mound tonight, Dave. 7 and 2 in his last 12 starts since his first DL stint of the season. 189 ERA, 1.30 walks per nine, 12.20 K per nine over that stretch with a 168, 201, 295 line against and 76 innings pitched. Double-digit Ks in five of the 12 starts and four straight overall going into tonight's game. 50 Ks in his last 30 in the third innings pitch. That's 14.24 K per nine. Goes six scoreless tonight. Seven Ks. Misses out on double-digit Ks for a change. 104 pitches total. Everything working for him tonight. Fastball command. A really nice curveball. A couple of really nice change-ups to the left-handers, Michael Bourne in particular. He finishes with six scoreless, uh, finishes the year with 3-4-6 ERA at 2-8-2 FIP, 26 walks, 155 Ks, and 127 in the third. Those numbers are sort of astonishing considering the way the season started for Stephen Strasburg, but he certainly finished strong and gave everyone hope for next season. Yeah, you know, we've said it uh, a couple of times here. Um, you know, it's been mentioned uh, you know, by by a couple of national writers, but uh, when, when Strasburg got healthy this year, I mean, finally really got healthy. Uh, we saw once again just how good of a pitcher this guy really is. I mean, you know, since he came back, you know, beginning of August, August September, uh, just tremendous. I mean, just uh, you know, going out there and throwing, you know, seven or eight innings just about every night. Uh, we got through six tonight in the rain, but um, just really, uh, you know, showcasing, you know, all three plus pitches that he's got. I mean, the curveball, uh, the last two batters that he struck out tonight, got him on the curveball, made Nick Swisher just look stupid, swinging through and then bouncing around and hopping up and down, doing a little dance on home plate after it. So, uh, just you know, the 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 the, the two seam, uh, the, the curveball, the 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 change up I mean just really tremendous uh, once again working all together in unison uh, you know the only issue with Strasburg obviously is health going forward and and he could combine with Max Scherzer next season um, as 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 tough a one two combination as there is in baseball and, and then if the Nats go out as you and I uh, both think they will and go out and, and sign another uh, starter free agent starter. Um, so as not to have to rush Lucas Giolito or or Reynaldo Lopez, um, you know, once again they should be going into uh, the season next year with a very strong pitching staff. Of course, you know, at the beginning of this year everybody was talking about an historic an, an historic uh, staff that, that certainly didn't come to fruition. Strasburg with the injuries, uh, Doug Fister, um, you know, just complete ineffectiveness. Uh, Gio Gonzalez was good and bad and good and bad and good and bad, but that really is uh, Gio. 
Um, so, uh, you know, you really you look at, at the, the Nats' parts, and, and I think they have um, they they certainly have some issues going into next season. But I think starting pitching probably isn't one of them. Do you think they can get away with Strasburg, Scherzer, Gonzalez, Tanner Roark, and Joe Ross in the rotation? I think you're counting an awful lot on Joe Ross repeating the success he had this season. He's always been a good starter. He was exceptional this season, however, but counting on a return of that in his first and second season back with the in the Nationals rotation is kind of a you're making a taking a gamble there, I think. And same thing with Roark coming back there. So is that why you think they probably have to go out and add a, a arm considering they're most likely to lose Fister and Zimmerman? Well, I, I think so, and, and, and I'll tell you why. You know, um, Joe Ross had never pitched above double-A before this season, uh, came up and, and acquitted himself very well. But you can't expect to throw, um, you know, a guy in his first full year as a major leaguer um, into a, you know, number three, number four type of role. Um, Tanner Roark, lots of question marks uh, uh, in the, this offseason going into next year. Um, you know, the, the Nats really mistreated him in the bullpen, um, didn't know how they wanted to use him, never settled on a role. Um, you know, tried to send him down to the minors to stretch him out, and then ended up only giving him four innings over two games or whatever it was. So, um, you know, if they want to put Roark back in the rotation, they just have to put him there and let him go. But um, the, the other thing is, is that the Nats really don't have anybody at that double A, triple A level right now uh, that they could look at and say, okay, if we have an injury or if we have somebody that, that just is really ineffective that they can move right into the rotation and think that they can feel confident about it. A.J. Cole was supposed to be that guy. He kind of had a um, an up-and-down kind of season. The, the couple of the, the very few brief opportunities that he had in the big leagues um, didn't look particularly good. I know they still like him. He's still on their top one of their top prospects lists. But, um, but, but really for A.J. Cole, um, it, it's starting to get to the point where um, much like Tanner Roark and Blake Trinan and Craig, Craig Stammen and others before him, um, they might think about moving him to a bullpen role um, and to, to make room for um, for those other guys I mentioned earlier, uh, G. Lito, Lopez, Eric Fetty, uh, right along with those guys. But I don't think those guys are particularly ready to take a major league role. So I really think that they'll uh, probably end up signing a, a veteran starter that – um, for lack of a better term, can eat innings for them for a year or two until they feel more comfortable with moving one of those three young younger guys up into the rotation. Yeah, I definitely haven't given up hope on Cole yet, and as long as he's been around, he's still only 24 going on 25, I think, next season. So I think he is obviously as big a risk as Joe Ross. Uh, if you're going to count on one of those two guys to fill out the back of your rotation, I think Nationals are taking a big risk there, which is why I think they will be looking at some pitching in the market there, whether or not it's going to be a one of the top-tier free agents or just a back-end guy that can fill in. And like you said, evenings for them will be interesting. And they're also going to have some decisions to make in the pen. Uh, we'll start with the seventh inning tonight. Blake Trinan came on. And this is nitpicking, and I feel bad in a week that Matt Williams has taken a beating in the press and to the point where I'm starting to defend him and start to think, man, maybe they shouldn't get rid of him. But we'll see what happens with no. that. We'll talk about, talk about that more in a second. But... Blake Trinan is on in the seventh inning after Strasburg's done. His struggles against left-handed batters are well-documented. Uh, he gives up a one-out walk, which brings Freddie Freeman up as a pinch hitter. Uh, all of a sudden, Matt Grace is out there in the bullpen. They showed him on the Braves broadcast uh, really rushing to get warmed up there because they knew there's another left-hander right behind him, uh, right behind Freeman and Michael Bourne coming up. He's got a one nothing lead at that point. 
They're stalling uh, a visit to the mound by Wilson Ramos, a visit from the pitching coach Steve McCaddy as well. And at that point, the Braves announcer, announcers wondered aloud, why not have a lefty ready just in case? You know Freddie Freeman's on the bench there. You know Michael Bourne's coming up. They read off uh, trying his numbers against left-handers this year and were just wondering why you wouldn't have a left-hander ready in that situation. And I have to admit I was wondering the same thing. But Matt Williams, once again, the bullpen decisions are kind of tough there, but trying to actually get out of the inning and saves everyone some trouble. But it's just a little odd situation there where Matt Williams didn't plan ahead to have a lefty warm up and then is going to potentially warm up Matt Grace in a hurry and throw him out there. Well, Unfortunately, it's not an odd decision by Matt Williams because he's done it all year. I mean, this is a case where a veteran manager with a pitching coach that knows what he's doing um, would be fully aware of the fact that um, Blake Trinan has a very hard time getting lefties out. You bring him in for the first couple of guys, and you have that left-hander warming up at the start of the inning, ready to come in if Trinan gets in trouble to face Bourne or for the pinch hitter in the pitcher spot. I mean, this is what professional managers and pitching coaches do. Um, and, it's, and it's something the Nationals have not done at all for the last two years. Uh, Williams wants to have his relievers have set roles, pitch the inning, and get out of it. And Trinan is just not that type of guy. And for some reason, that hasn't gotten through to Matt Williams or to Steve McCaddy, um, that when you've got Blake Trinan, you want him to face a couple of right-handers, um, and his stuff is devastating against right-handers. I'm not, I'm not denigrating Blake Trinan in this, but he can't get left-handers out. He was fortunate enough to do it tonight, but he was also pitching to an injured Freddie Freeman who hasn't started and is nursing an injury. Um, so maybe the Nats caught a break there. But, um, but this is nothing new. I mean, Matt Williams and, and Steve McCaddy um, have, have have managed the bullpen this way the entire year um, to the devastating. Um, effects that it has had. I mean, they just um, are incapable of planning ahead, you know, not just one move, not just two or three moves, but even just one move ahead. They couldn't see that, okay, they've got the pitcher spot coming up, they'll probably pinch at a left-handed batter, and we ought to have a lefty ready for them. Instead of, oh, crap, he has to face Freddie Freeman, we have to rush Matt Grace ready to face Michael Bourne. It's just, you know, it's just yet another, um, you know, yet another thumbtack uh, on top of all the nails that are already in Matt Williams' coffin as far as being the manager of the Nationals. One of the many interesting notes in the Washington Post writer Barry Sverluga's, uh theories on what went wrong, and we'll get to two more of them before the show's over here, but one of them was that uh, Mike Rizzo was talking to opposing teams who were inquiring about trades and everything, uh, what they wanted to do with their bullpen. He was saying that they think Blake Trinan was going to be the eighth inning man, the setup guy that could step in there where Tyler Clippard was and He's one of the guys that didn't work out in that role. Uh, Aaron Barrett ended up getting hurt, wasn't available after that. But Blake Trinan, I think those two guys in particular are two guys they were planning on really stepping up this year and kind of filling the hole before the season. They talked about how some of their young guys, quote-unquote, they didn't name them in particular to put that pressure on them, but how those two needed to step up and really kind of fill in the roles the Nationals lost when they got rid of uh Tyler Clipper this last winter, and they didn't do it this year. But what do you see their roles going forward? Obviously, Barrett's not going to be available for most of the season after elbow surgery, but Blake Trinan's really got to work on those lefties and kind of try to step up and take that eighth-inning role next year because they really need a back-of-the-bullpen arm if they don't add some more this winter, which I'm pretty sure they're going to have to do. Well, this is just the thing, right, because 
you know, Drew Storen's bridge is burned. I mean, he they they have no choice but to trade him. I mean, the player uh, won't be satisfied coming back, and and then it'll just end up festering, uh, much like it did after they traded for Papelbon. Jonathan Papelbon. Um, probably has to go. You, you just can't attack the team's MVP um, and get away with it. Um, you know, Barry Serluga's column, uh, the, the three-part series that he had, just details in just excruciatingly painful detail just how badly Jonathan Papelbon uh, fits into the Nationals clubhouse um, and bullpen. So he most likely has to be gone. So right off the bat, you, you got to get a closer. The, the Nats don't have an incumbent on the roster um, that would be a closer. And if you look back to two years ago, when we when the Nats had uh, Storin and 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 Clippard and Stammen and 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 a couple of others, it's hard to think that uh, going into 2016, the Nats would be looking for a closer. But unless they plan on trying to rehabilitate their relationship with Drew Storin, they just don't have one. Um, so right off the bat, they're going to have to buy a closer. And then you have to talk about who's going to have the eighth with an inning roll and, and how are you going to divide up the seventh inning. And can we trust Blake Trinan? And the only way you're going to know if he's going to be any better against lefties is to have him face lefties. And and if you can't get him out, then you, can, you can't have him face him. And obviously you, you mentioned Aaron Barrett. And, um, you know, Felipe Rivero certainly looks like a quality piece coming in. And do they try to re-sign Matt Thornton? Matt Thornton was asked by Matt Williams tonight to take the lineup card out at home plate. So that has you have to think in the back of your head that Thornton's not going to return next year. So, um, you know, that you know losing Craig Stammen early on in the season uh, – Trading Jerry Blevins because you didn't want him to want to go to arbitration with him over two hundred thousand um, dollars, you know, you know, losing a, a you know a couple of other guys. It's just you know that there in itself um, speaks to um, you know one one of the great things about Rizzo is he's so confident in what he's doing. One of the bad things about Rizzo is that he's so confident in what he's doing. He was so confident in Trinan and Barrett and a couple of these other younger guys that he felt that he could get away with not spending money on the bullpen. Um, and it came up to bite him in the ass. I mean, this was, uh, for the most of the season, um, the, the Nats' biggest problem. I mean, the, the Nats got by with a makeshift lineup with all those guys injured until the 1st of August. They were still in first place, but it was the bullpen that was limiting them to how far in front they were in first place. Um, then all the injured guys came back. Obviously, they went through their spring training. The, last, the Nats lost 13 out of 17, and the season was over. But, um, but they've got an awful lot of work they're going to have to do on the bullpen. Uh, one of the big sections in Byron Superluca's article was uh, about the big sign, uh, signing of Max Scherzer and the trade for Jonathan Papelbon and the way the team and clubhouse reacted to that and uh, the Papelbon trade in particular. There's an on- anonymous player quoted in there saying, we thought we were building a clubhouse here with players who were going to do things the Nationals way, but then they don't keep some of those guys, which Clipper, you got to think of in particular in that case, and they bring in others who haven't come up that way. What does that teach you? How does that breed loyalty? The questions that that person in particular asks. But when you give, don't sign Jordan Zimmerman, let him walk. Don't sign Ian Desmond. Uh, looks like they're going to let them both walk and give Max Scherzer $210 million. You have Drew Store in closing games all season, but apparently don't trust him from two different sections there where Whereas for Luca talked about Mike Rizzo not being completely comfortable with Storm, you go in and bring a divisive figure like Papelbon into the clubhouse. Is that how the Nationals succeeded in kind of blowing things up here and finishing out a season where there's acrimony among the players and the ownership and the manager and really just kind of messing up the whole chemistry in the clubhouse? 
Yeah, I think that the first part of that quote that you read is the most telling part, you know, when they said they're getting rid of, um, you know, they wanted to, to they, Rizzo, one of Rizzo's most crowning achievements was getting rid of, quote, all the knuckleheads. Um, and then this past offseason, they traded one of their good guys, uh, Tyler Clifford, away for, uh, you know, Escobar, who was a celebrated knucklehead coming in. Um, and, and then in the midseason, they go out and get one of the biggest knuckleheads in the game in, in Jonathan Applebaum. So um, that obviously uh, is a departure from what Rizzo had been doing, how he was building his team. And you know Rizzo in the back of his head is thinking, I've got such a strong clubhouse with Jason Worth and Ryan Zimmerman and um, and, you know and, and and some of the and Ian Desmond and, and some of the others that the, that they are that the play, players are going to place themselves and they're going to bring these guys in, they're going to assimilate them, and I'm not they're not going to have any problems. And for the most part, you you know Escobar was was a model citizen this year. You didn't hear about any problems. Um, you know he could hardly stay in the lineup. I mean he hit very well when he was in the lineup, but was in and out of the lineup due to injury all year. Um, but then this Papelbon thing, immediately there was problems. Um, you could hear it on the periphery. You could hear people whispering about it. Um, and then the blow-up last week, it just failed spectacularly. Um, and if Rizzo, um, if Rizzo has, has hopes of regaining, um, regaining this locker room, regaining this team, uh, getting this team back on the right direction, then, uh, then he's going to have to sacrifice that $11 million and get rid of Papelbon and trade him for pennies on the dollar. The other big quote that I found in that article that I certainly thought was interesting had to do with a situation where Jason Worth found himself out of the lineup one day as he was working his way back towards the end of the season. Uh, as for Luga writes, what might have been a minor blip in his successful season became a boiling point in sense that he was out of the lineup. I'm paraphrasing there. Well, Worth ripped the lineup card off the wall, bellowing that it was going to change. Then according to several people who were present, he confronted Williams, not just about whether he would play that day, but about what most of the clubhouse considered to be a chronic lack of communication with his players among the jarring barbs from Worth to Williams. When exactly do you think you lost this team? And this is not the first time we've had Jason Worth uh, interacting this way with a manager. He certainly had in his disagreements and arguments with David Johnson. They were always discussing things. He had from reports from everywhere. He had a lot of problems with Jim Riggleman that might have led to Jim Riggleman being out of here earlier than he might have been otherwise. He also chased Niger Morgan out of the, <laughs> out of the outfield with the Nationals. They got into a little uh, head-to-head battle there at one point before Morgan left the organization. And just It might actually be bordering on irony that the big signing of Mike Rizzo's tenure and the outfielder he added to change the culture in here is going head-to-head with his, his hand-picked manager and might be part of the reason behind Williams' exit from the nation's capital. Well, yeah, I mean, Worth has always been that type of guy. He's always been vocal about it. And I think that um, that this particular instance that, that was referred to in the article, if Williams had said, hey, Jason, I'm giving you the day off, um, it probably would not have been that big a deal. But the way that it reads is that Williams didn't go to Worth before he posted the lineup, and Worth had to find out that he wasn't in the lineup when he saw the lineup card. So, um Obviously, that speaks to the lack of communication, um, the lack of respect, you know, the, um, you know, when do you think he lost this team quote. Um, obviously, that was done in public for, for Sir Luga to have heard it. So um, it's just, um, and, and again, it also speak, it also feeds into the inmates running the asylum type of situation where, um, where it's the players calling the shots and not Williams, and that speaks to the lack of respect. I mean, we talked about it with Scherzer, 
um, you know, cursing at his manager to let him finish a game. Uh, he finishes that game the next week. The manager doesn't even come out to ask him if he's okay, and he gives up the home run to lose the game. So um, this is a manager that clearly has lost control of his clubhouse. He's lost control of his players. Um, if you and I can see it, Mike Rizzo can see it. Um, if Mike, if Barry Sarluga is chronicling it in the Washington Post, then obviously Mike Rizzo is not only seeing it, but he's hearing it as well, uh, and he's going to be hearing it from his owner as well. So I certainly don't think that there's any way that they can avoid uh, replacing Matt Williams, and you would think that they would want to hire a manager that not only uh, has experience but commands respect um, just by his presence, let, al- let alone the way he interacts w- with his players. So it's going to be a very interesting decision to see um, what Mike Rizzo and the Lerner family um, decides to do with the, with the field manager position. And if, and if they bring in a veteran guy, um, if they let that guy finally once and for all pick his own coaches um, as opposed to getting stuck with, um, with, with some of the holdover that's been here for several seasons. Do you think they have to bring in a new guy? I, I just think it, you're starting all over again at this point, two years into uh, a young, young manager, at least not a young man necessarily, but young manager uh, bringing in a new guy at this point and a lot of young players on this team, but they're still in a window of contention where they think with the rotation they have, Scherzer, Strasburg, Worth, Zimmerman, they have a new shortstop coming up. They have, you know, they have the makings of a competitive team here. Do you think bringing in another new manager at this point is possibly detrimental, or do you think that's what they could need possibly to kind of get them over the top and get them to be a true contender, maybe get them through the NLDS for once? Well, A, I don't think they have a choice because I don't think uh, the holdovers are going to be – uh, are going to respect Matt Williams in that position. Uh, B, Matt Williams is a working manager, took this team to the playoffs and, and really bungled what should have been a World Series challenger at that point. So um, I don't think that, that, that it will be necessarily be a problem bringing in a veteran manager uh, to manage this team next year and expect it to be competitive. One more question before we wrap up, and I apologize for this one because it's a hot-button issue, especially in the nation's capital with everything we've seen in the news recently, but they're not bringing back Terrence? Look, <laughs> um, I respect the job that Terrence does. Um, he is obviously um, a very enthusiastic guy. He not only works for the Nationals, but several other franchises in this, um, you know, cheerleader, you know, hype role type of thing. Um, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. It's not, it's not what I want in a baseball game, but there are a lot of fans that do enjoy him, and, and whatever the reason is that the, the Nats and Terrence are um, our parting company, um, I suppose it's a sad day in Nats town. <laughs> yes, it's not necessarily my thing, but he's obviously getting an outpouring of love from a lot of the fans out there. As someone who just likes baseball for baseball and can do without all the bells and whistles, like I said, not necessarily my thing, but a lot of support out there for him, and the way it seems to have ended is a little odd, but uh, not something I'm going to miss at the ballpark, let's put it that way, and personal feelings for him aside, since I've met him a few times, and he's a perfectly likable young man and did a good job of at least getting the crowd around him enthusiastic, so we'll see what the Nationals do going forward. 81-78 and 78 after the win tonight. Uh, three more with the Mets coming up this weekend in New York, which could be a huge problem because there's all sort of weather coming our way. We'll see if they can finish out the season and not have to delay any of these and get it over with for Nationals fans who want to move on to 2016 and watch the Mets lose to the Dodgers and the NLDS. That's nightly sponsored by the District Sports page and federalbaseball.com. We'll talk to you tomorrow, sir. Let's go Caps.
Donuts. That's what Dog Hats always says. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.